Hello, listeners everywhere. I'm Helena Cobbin, the president of Just World Educational. We work to expand the discourse here in the United States and worldwide on vital issues of global peace and justice, especially in the long-troubled Middle East. This is the fourth episode in a special podcast mini-series we're releasing as part of our Cast Lead Plus 10 project, which started on December 27th and is running for 22 days. This project marks the anniversary of the Operation Cast Lead assault that Israel waged against Gaza during these same 22 days 10 years ago. If you are on social media, we're using the hashtag hash plus 10 to draw together all the activities we're running on our Twitter and Facebook accounts. Do follow us on both platforms. On Twitter, our handle is at JustWorldEd. We also have a great resource page on Operation Cast Lead on our website, www.justworldeducational.org, where you'll find links to all the episodes in this podcast miniseries and many other useful materials. So do check back there for regular updates, too. In this episode, you'll hear the second half of a conversation I recently held about Cast Lead and its legacies with Dr. Basim Naim. At the time of Cast Lead, Dr. Naim was the Minister of Health in the Palestinian government in Gaza. Today, he heads the Gaza-based Center for International Relations. In this episode, Dr. Naim discusses many of the painful after-effects of Cast Lead and of the tight siege that Israel has maintained around Gaza continuously since the spring of 2006. He also discusses the notable non-violent civilian mass action called the Great March of Return that citizen activists and political groups launched in Gaza in March of last year, and that continues to this day, an action that, Dr. Naim says, has put the issues of Gaza and Palestine firmly back on the international agenda. This is how this part of our conversation went. Just be aware there's a little background noise in the recording. So one of the earlier interviews we did for this series was with uh, Richard Falk. And um, actually, um, Professor Falk is an old friend of mine, and he's a member of the uh, of our board of Just World Educational. So, one thing that we discussed was how, after Cast Lead, there was a new wave of um, activism in support of Palestinian rights all around the world. Um, so I wonder if you saw any of this happening and also what kind of solidarity you got from governments after Cast Lead. Uh, uh, if you talk about civil society and activists, I think through uh, the 2008-2009 aggression was a turning point in, in solidarity with the Gaza Strip and with Palestine in general, and uh, many groups founded based on this aggression. Uh, And they have tried to support Gaza either by coming to Gaza mainly through Egypt, because one year after, and for one year after the aggression, the borders in Rafah was 
open and it was easy to come to Gaza. And most of them came either to bring uh, medical or any kind of physical support, or others came for political support, for uh, legal support and uh, other things. But from the governments, I think it was yani, very, very uh, limited. And most of what came into Gaza first was coordinated with the Israelis, unfortunately. And it was easy from any government to say, sorry, we want to do this, but the Israelis will not allow us uh, to, to allow us to help you or to bring this medicine in or this, uh, for example, uh, water pumps or anything. And most of the governments use the Israeli policies as an excuse for their reluctance uh, not to help. Uh, some of them, they have tried through international bodies like WHO, like ICRC or UNRWA to uh, to you know, to pay money for, uh, for for to support the Gazans. But I can say most of this support was not uh, concentrating on uh, developmental uh, projects. Was more uh, supporting on 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 daily life needs, mm. food, medicine, uh, and the, the, the developmental aspect was not uh, a central part of their uh, projects. Uh, as I said, they pay me money for UNRWA to uh, to supply the poor families. Therefore, today you are talking about nearly 80 to 85% of Gaza families are uh, aid-dependent. And 80% of Gazans today are living below the poverty line. Without an international food aid, they will, st- uh, they will strive. But um, actually, the, the population of Gaza is, compared with most countries of the global south it's very well educated and has you know a lot of talents so if you could be reconnected to the global economy gaza could could maybe thrive i think th- this is true and yani 100% right but this this is positive and negative at the same time negative because when you are Uh, poor and hungry and thirsty and at the same time you are not educated, you are ignorant and so on. Sometimes it's easier for you to cope with this very dire situation. But when you are educated and talented and you know that you can do it, you can you can have a better life, you are through internet and connected with the uh, the whole world through the internet, it is painful for you to be educated, a professor, a doctor, a nurse, or uh, an engineer, and at the same time you don't have something to eat. It is more more painful for him. But at the same time, we have said it many times, we don't need any support from anyone. We don't. We don't look for food aid or water support or some medicine. We don't need any help from anyone. Only open the, bo- on the borders. 
open the gates of this biggest open air prison and we have very talented educated young people and they will uh, they will be able to do it alone we are uh, we we by the way Gazans they have participated in in uh, in building many countries here in the regions first the first Palestinians were in Kuwait in Saudi Arabia in, in, in United Arab Emirates in Bahrain even in Lebanon they, I mean they are not people who are you know, lazy and waiting for someone to come to help. We are looking only to open the doors and leave us and we will do it. More than 70% of Gazans here are below 30. 55% of Gazans are below 16. And at the same time, if you talk about education, maybe 90 Eight percent or more, more that maybe ninety-nine percent are are educated. Well, I hope the uh, the siege can be lifted soon, but it, it it'll still be a long lot of work to get there. Um, but the problem, Helena, even if it is lifted now, now you are talking about eight years. I mean, uh, in two thousand six, the child who was six years old, now he is eighteen years old. I mean, there's a generation. He's growing up under the siege with what, with what so-called siege mentality. It is, uh, we need a long time to rehabilitate the people here. I was once sitting in front of the TV and watching Al Jazeera, and, uh, uh, and they were interviewing someone from Istanbul. And my son, he is now 15 years old, he asked me, why is this man have always electricity in the background? Is there any country in the world who have electricity for 24 hours? Oh, my. He, he cannot imagine that then there is countries where you have 24. The normal life for him is to have four or five hours. Right. And this is one example of many things here which, which becomes normal. So um, I think we should move to the end of the interview now, which is the question of the Great March of Return, because al although there were two other Israeli attacks on Gaza in 2012 and the very bad attack in 2014, in a sense, those were kind of similar to cast-led. Maybe the one in 2014 was much worse. But now we have this new thing called the Great March of Return. And I wanted to ask you where the idea for this march came from and whether you think it, it will be or has been effective. And first, it was discussed at the level of uh, civil society, uh, mainly. What can we do to raise our voice against this uh, endless blockade? And what can we do to change this situation? This took around two months discussions uh, everywhere on Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, on Twitter, uh, but mainly uh, NGOs, professors, I mean university professors, activists, some of the factions here or there. And then uh, 
the factions, the Palestinian groups, political groups, found that this is a good idea to raise our voices against the siege peacefully, first to avoid any escalations, more escalations with the occupation, because the situation is unbearable. It is so dire that it cannot continue like this. And uh, as I said, first, to avoid the escalation. Second, to give the chance to people to express their their feelings, their anger, their disappointment, despair, because Gazans cannot accept to die in silence or to die in peace. After yani, more and more discussions between the NGOs and the activists and the Palestinian political groups, they have decided to to take the chance of March 30, which is uh, what we call it the land day, based on 1976 uh, events where uh, six Palestinians killed by uh, Israelis inside 48 territories. And this is this day is a ceremony, or usually there are similar ceremony to remember the people about this event. I have to say that from the beginning it was structured to be peaceful, first, mm-hmm. fully peaceful, uh, second, based on a very wide or broad national basis, all Palestinian political groups, NGOs, activists, civil societies and so on, participating, we are going to raise only one flag, which is the Palestinian flag, no factional flags or any other uh, slogans. We are uh, third, uh, it will be yani, held regularly on, on Fridays. Added to, the, added to this, if we have a specific occasion like the Nakba Day and uh, May 15 or so, or May 14, something like that. And yeah, slowly, uh, the, the first day was, uh, maybe you have seen it, a very, uh, very big uh, participation, very huge participation from thousands of people, men and women, children, elderly, uh, from all political groups, from all activists, civil society, and it was a very strong message to the Israelis, to the international community, that Gazans are insisting on raising their voice, uh, demanding or calling for lifting the siege, and insisting on or emphasizing their right of return. We have to remember also that 70% of Gazans are refugees. Right. And therefore, the connection we have here today, the higher committee of great return, march for right of for return and breaking the siege, which, I mean, this is a double message, a long-term uh, goal and a short-term goal. The long-term goal that still we have we, the right of return or still we have the right to return to our to our houses 
cities and villages, we uh, we be, we have been kicked uh, out of it. But the goal is to uh, is to lift the siege, to knock the doors of this big open air prison, to raise the voice and to send a message to the whole world that Gazans are suffering and this cannot continue like this. And as I said, uh, finally, uh, uh, to demonstrate peacefully, united, to avoid a bigger escalation. Because the other choice was to escalate against the end, to, to explode and to go into a new escalation with the Israelis. So um, you seem to have avoided the big escalation, but have you? Do you feel that you've made any any progress toward your other goals? First of all, we cannot say today that we have avoided finally and uh, the, the 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 biggest escalation because the Israelis, despite of all what happened along this year or the last year. 2018, uh, in a great march demonstrations, thousands of Palestinians, hundreds killed, thousands wounded, and so on and so on. Still, of this, they are uh, uh, they are not ready to do their obligations as an occupying power. I mean, to care for the daily life of the people here in Gaza as an occupying power. Uh, I mean, to open the borders, uh, to allow uh, free movement, uh, electricity, water, medicine, uh, and so on. Uh, what happened, despite of all negotiations, is the minimum of what agreed upon. Okay, the, the electricity improved a little bit, but it's still, uh, there is a big problem with the electricity still. The fishing zone, still every day, they are attacking the boats and uh, kidnapping the fishers or uh, killing them or wounding them. Uh, each Friday, despite of uh, really very peaceful demonstrations, uh, each Friday they are killing a uh, few Palestinians and wounding uh, dozens of them, including the last one, uh, the last Friday. And maybe you, yani, I have said it many times, if the Israelis have only one picture or one video where Palestinians using armed resistance or armed uh, actions against the state, this will be distributed all over the world. Until today, they have nothing to show the world that Palestinians were armed or violently attacking or threatening the soldiers. In most, in the majority of the videos, Palestinians were killed, for, including the, the Friday, not the last Friday, the 39th Friday. They have killed six Palestinians, all of them were 150, 200, 300, 400 meters away from the fence. No one of them was near the fence. Even who is near the fence, he was not threatening or, or, or exposing any real threat 
to 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 the soldiers, even like Razan Najjar or many others who killed, they were peaceful demonstrators. Demonstrators. Uh, therefore, we cannot say that we have finally and totally left this area of escalation. But on the other hand, we can say, yani, uh, before the Great Return March, you maybe the problem of Gaza or the Gaza crisis and the Palestinian questions in general was put on the lowest position on the uh, priorities of the international politics. Uh, the people were discussing uh, Syria, Iran, North Korea, China, Yemen, but no one is talking about Gaza. And I think Great Return March was able to put Gaza, the siege of Gaza, and Palestine in general on the table of the international community and on the table of the Israeli uh, politics. Uh, and maybe you, if you follow the Israeli uh, politics, most of the discussions today are based on how Israel is uh, dealing with Gaza or with Hamas or with, with, with the siege and so on. Yani pro and contra, but at the end it is a, a, a central topic today uh, uh, in the Israeli politics. This is one. Second, I think the, the right of return is at least emphasized in, a, in a clear words that Palestinians, after 70 years, are still waiting to impl the implementation of the 194 UN resolution, giving the Palestinians the right to return to their homes uh, where, they, where they were displaced. Uh, this is the second. Third, internally, I think the Great Return March was a practical example to unite the whole Palestinians, as I said, from different political groups, civil society, NGOs, and so on, behind one central goal, which is the occupation and the siege. End to end the occupation and to end the siege. Instead of Maybe you are following the Palestinian internal problems and divisions and Ramallah and Gaza. And instead of uh, 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 struggling against each other and spending most of our energy in internal problems, most, no, today after Great Return March, all, most of our energy is uh, is spent in in in, in, a, in, a, in the right direction, which is the occupation, ending the occupation, ending ending the uh, the siege. And I think this is you know, the main thing was uh, achieved. Through the the price was very high, was very painful. It was not easy to lose today nearly 250 Palestinians. Many of them are children, some of, some women, hundreds, thousands of people wounded. Many of them are handicapped forever. It was a very high price, but we didn't have uh, any other choice. The other choice is to die in silence. Therefore, 
we have had two choices, either to die because of absence of medicine or poisoned water or uh, absence of electricity or to die defending our freedom and dignity and calling for lifting the siege uh, by the Israeli snipers. Most of the Palestinians here uh, have chosen the second one. If I have to die, I have to die in, in, in dignity and uh, resisting the occupation. Well, thank you very much. I think that was a, a really clear explanation of the Great Return March. And so we will put that onto our podcast and our website so that more people can hear about it. And I want to thank you very much for the, uh, for the interview. Really helpful. Thank you very much also for your time and for calling me. Hey there, it's Helena Cobbin again. I hope you enjoyed that part of my conversation with Dr. Basim Naim and found it informative. This is the fourth episode in our podcast mini-series on cast-led plus 10 years. You can find links to the earlier episodes in the mini-series and a lot more resources in a variety of different media on our website at www.justworldeducational.org. The next episode in this mini-series will be an interview I conducted recently with our Director of Outreach, the veteran social justice activist Joe Catron, who spent three-plus years in Gaza from 2011 through fall of 2014. That one will be released on January 9th. And we're lining up some fine other episodes too, so you all will have a lot to look forward to here. By the way, if you click on the Donate tab on our website, you can learn about how you can help support our Cast-Led Plus 10 campaign and the rest of our community education programs. We really appreciate any help you can give. Thanks, stay well, and tune in again on January 9th.